All right, well, let's, um, let's say a word of prayer before we start. Dear Father, we want to thank you, Lord, again for health and life in abundance, Lord. We thank you for plucking us, Lord, as a brand out of the fire. We thank you, Father, for your, your unending, unstoppable love. And Father, we pray that uh, this afternoon you will speak to our minds, that you will convict us, Lord, of, of truth and of righteousness and of judgment of sin, Lord, and we pray that you will, you will bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we're talking about the elusive fountain of youth. Now, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've noticed, but every January, there comes a time when uh, people, I mean, there's all these commercials for diets and diet programs, and, and uh, they say, you can lose weight, you can do it, this is the year. Have you seen those? Yeah, well, I won't ask, but uh, maybe some of us have even been a part of it. But, you know, most of them actually don't persevere, and most people don't go through with it, right? Um, But according to researchers, each year more than $60 billion are spent on weight loss techniques, whether that's gym memberships or, uh, you know, diet programs or even diet soda, you know, whatever it is. People are spending billions of dollars, our nation is spending billions of dollars on weight loss and other uh, health-related types of weight loss things. So another thing is that each year more than 45 million Americans perform some type of dieting. Not just in January, but throughout the year they, they might diet for, um, for one month or a week and then they go back to it and they go through these, these ups and downs of dieting. And this happens every year in our country. But they don't find the solution. You know, we as a church are very, very blessed because we've been given the secret, not just for weight loss, but for perfect health. Do you believe that? We have been given the secrets for perfect health. Now, whether we apply it or not, that's a matter altogether different. But we have been given the secrets. We've been given this blueprint in the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy as to how to be healthy. And this is, uh, and we're going to see a little bit of this today. You see, God gave us a a gift. According to Ellen White, she says, Seventh-day Adventists are handling momentous truths. I change it to 150, because more than 150 years ago, the Lord gave us special light on health reform. But how are we walking in that light? How many have refused to live in harmony with the counsels of God? As a people, we should make advancement proportionate to the light received. It is our duty to understand and respect the principles of health reform. Notice she uses the word duty. It is our duty to understand the principles of health reform. It's not not something that we can choose to have or say, well, I'll just omit this and, you know, I choose not to do this. It's something that it is our duty if we believe in Christ, if we believe in the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus, then we should believe that it is our duty to understand the principles of health reform. She goes on and says, on the subject of temperance, we should be in advance of all other people. How many other people? All other Seventh-day Adventists should be renowned worldwide to be the people that know the most about how to be healthy. And although we have made some strides forward in this area, we, I don't believe that we have fulfilled this. And yet there are among us well-instructed members of the church 
and even ministers of the gospel who have little respect for the light that God has given upon this subject. They eat as they please and work as they please. And brothers and sisters, this, it's actually shameful to, to see this. You know, we, we as a church have these momentous truths, as we're told, but we disdain them. We, we, don't, uh, we don't appreciate it. But God gave us this gift and we are, we are squandering it. Let those who are teachers and leaders in our cause take their stand firmly on Bible ground in regard to health reform and give a straight testimony to those who believe we are living in the last days of this earth's history. A line of distinction must be drawn between those who serve God and those who serve themselves. So, how many of us claim to be teachers? How many of us have been called to be evangelists? Okay, let's see the hands of all those who have been called to be evangelists. Um, people who, who no, I'm not talking about giving evangelistic series, but someone who has been called to win souls. Has anyone in here been called to win souls? So in a sense, we are teachers, we are evangelists, and we are then called as leaders, leaders of others, leading others to Christ. We are called to stand firmly on Bible ground and in regard to health reform especially. Now, why health reform? We're going to look at five reasons, or four really, but we're going to look at a couple reasons as to why, why we as Christians should, uh, or Adventists rather, we should, we should even care about health reform. One, because we love Jesus. Amen? That's the first and foremost reason. Nothing else will, can, should or can replace that. But two, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and we are living in the antitypical day of atonement. Amen? Health is a moral issue for those that believe that Jesus is finishing the work in the heavenly sanctuary. And it is a tool that we can use for evangelism. And as an add-on, it might even improve our, our health on this earth. So, why health reform? Let's look at the first one. Actually, before we do, let's do a little recap of yesterday. Yesterday, we, what were some of the verses, or what was one of the main things we, we saw yesterday? We looked at Isaiah 43, 7, and Revelation 4, 11, and we saw how, how we were created for what? For whose glory? We were created for God's glory. We were born with a purpose, and um, we saw that there was this connection between spirituality and health. Did we see that? Our faith in Christ will lead to a healthy life. And here we even see it in, in the Bible, in Proverbs 3, starting at verse 5, a verse that most of us know and even have memorized. It says, Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? With all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. And it shall be what? It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. So we see that even throughout the whole Bible, this, this uh, concept that our walk with God, our relationship with God has a direct effect to our physical being, is, it's there. And we'll see that more as we keep going as well. We also saw in Isaiah 43, 7 and Revelation 4, 11 that we were made for God's glory. And we see then in 1 Corinthians 10, 10 31, it says, whether therefore what? You eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So 
does that mean that even the way we eat and drink affects whether we're giving glory to God or not? Yeah, according to the Bible, yes. If we are going to fulfill God's purpose in giving Him glory through our life, then the way we eat and drink even does affect that. Now, let's look at the first reason. Because we love Him. The first reason we, why we should, even be, we should even care about health reform is because we love Jesus. And so, here we'll see, strength is a talent and is to be used to glorify who? To glorify God. Our bodies belong to Him. He has paid the price of redemption for the body as well as for the soul. We can serve God better in the vigor of health than in the palsy of disease. Therefore, we should cooperate with God in the care of our bodies. Love for God is essential for life and health. Faith in God is essential for health. In order to have perfect health, our hearts must be filled with what? Love and hope and joy in the Lord. So, love for God is essential for health. Now, imagine yourself, I mean, imagine if you're at home and... uh, you know, there's a, a person knocks on your door and you open the door and this, this person says, Hi, <coughs> my, name is, uh, my name is Elias and uh, I'm a medical missionary. <coughs> I'm here to help you. Uh, how's everything? How are you doing? You know, how, how, would you, how would you respond to that? You know, how would, you, would you feel like they could really help you? You know, they're keeling over and almost perhaps, you know, uh, coughing and almost puking, you know, and they're wanting to help you, you know. It doesn't look like they could help you much, right? If we're going to be health reformers, we ought to also act the part. We also ought to live the part. We can serve God better in the vigor of health, and God wants us to serve Him. We can glorify Him better when we give Him everything, not just our soul, but our bodies as well. So, let's keep going. It says, God is the great caretaker of the human machinery, In the care of our bodies, we must cooperate with Him. Love for God is essential for life and health. And we saw this. Love for God is essential. Without love for God, there is no life and health. We cannot love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength while we are loving our appetites, our tastes, a great deal better than we love the Lord. We are daily lessening our strength to glorify God when He requires all our strength, all our mind. By our wrong habits, we are lessening our hold on life and yet professing to be Christ's followers, preparing for the finishing touch of immortality. Now, how many of us believe that we are preparing for the finishing touch of immortality? I mean, Jesus is coming soon. He's almost done with the work in the, in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. He's about to come back. He's about to say, it is finished. And we as a church are still struggling with our appetites more than, and, and we, we love our appetites more than we love God. Now, I don't know, does anyone here struggle with their appetites like me? All right, great, I'm not the only one. We're all struggling. But if our love is for Jesus and our faith is placed in Him, can we not ask Him to give us the victory and will He not give it? Right now, today, if we ask in faith and believe, it is ours. One of my favorite verses is 1 John 5, 14 and 15 where it says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask what? Anything. That if we ask anything, He will hear us. And if we know that He hears us, then we know that we have the petition that we have desired of Him. So, is it His will for us to have victory over our appetites? 
Amen. So if we ask Him in faith, what is stopping us from having the victory? Just us. But right now, today, we can have the victory by God's grace. Amen? And because we love Him and He loves us, there's no, there should be no place for defeat. So we, see, we saw the first reason. Because we love Jesus. Now we're going to look at the second reason. Because our body is the, whole, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are living in the anti-typical day of atonement. The body... He tells us, God tells us, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, does anyone know where we're told that? Corinthians, yes, where? What's that? 316, uh uh-huh. And there's another place as well. Does anyone know? 617, 18, yes. All right, someone knows, good. Right, so we're told in the Bible that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the habitation of, his, of, of the Holy Ghost. He requires all who bear His image to take care of their bodies. Take care of their bodies? For what? For the purpose of who? His service and His glory. You are not your own, says the inspired apostle. You are bought with a price. Wherefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All our energies and capabilities are to be constantly strengthened and improved during this probationary period. Only those who appreciate these principles and have been trained to care for their bodies intelligently and in the fear of God should be chosen to take responsibilities in this work. These are strong statements that we're reading here. Those who have been long in the truth, yet who cannot distinguish between the pure principles of righteousness and the principles of evil, whose understanding in regard to justice, mercy, and the love of God is clouded, should be relieved of their responsibilities. Hmm, those are strong words, are they not? But how many leaders do we have? How many church clerks or church secretaries or church treasurers do we have that are still indulging in an appetite? And not, and not mind you, not not struggling and falling and understanding that they're struggling and they're, and they're desiring something better, but I'm talking more perhaps of people who are being rebellious. They know it's wrong, but they don't care. And we're still living, eating and drinking and living however we please. But we're told in the spirit of prophecy that these people should be relieved of their positions. Very strong statements, but, but brothers and sisters, this is the truth. And we need not be ashamed of the truth. Amen? Every church needs a clear, sharp testimony, giving the trumpet a certain sound. Temperance in eating, drinking, sleeping, and dressing is one of the grand principles of the, of the religious life. Truth brought into the sanctuary of the soul will guide in the treatment of the body. Some of these statements, if you were to read them in certain places, you might be thrown out, or you will be thrown out. You'll be booed out. You'll be uh, accused of being judgmental or whatever it is. But, but God wrote this for us. And He wrote it for us out of love. So why shouldn't we read these things? Why shouldn't we accept these truths? Why shouldn't we share them? Child Guidance, page 461. Indulgent parents do not teach their children self-denial. The very food they place before them is such as to irritate the stomach. 
The excitement thus produced is communicated to the brain, and as a result, the passions are aroused. Now, most of us here are not children, but there's a principle here that applies to any of us, no matter what age. When our stomachs are excited, and not excited in the form of, yay, I can't wait, no, the, you know, excited as irritated, when they're irritated, when they are, when they are damaged, it does not just damage our digestive organs, but our brains are affected as well. It cannot be too often repeated that whatever is taken into the stomach affects not only the body, but ultimately what? The mind as well. Gross and stimulating food fevers the blood, excites the nerve system, and too often dulls the moral perceptions so that reason and conscience are overborne by the sensual, sensual impulse. It was in love that our Heavenly Father sent the light of health reform to guard against the evils that result from unrestrained indulgence of appetite. If ever there was a time when the diet should be the most, of the most simple kind, it is when? A hundred years ago? It is now. Meat should not be placed before our children. Its influence is to excite and strengthen the lower passions and has a tendency to deaden the moral powers. So today, when Jesus is in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, when He is blotting out our sins, and not just, and mind you, not just in forgiveness, He wants to cleanse us from the inside out. When Jesus is trying to cleanse us completely, eating incorrectly only goes against, counteracts any work the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. So what is, and, and, and so I want to I go ahead and bring this out right now, that we're not saved by eating healthy. Obviously, we, we talked about this yesterday and we repeated it again today. There's no way that health reform could save us. No, no way ever. But, but health reform is more like giving God a chance to reach our minds to, to giving God a chance to allow truth to come in and to take place, to, to be anchored in our hearts and minds and not just go in one ear and out the other. Health reform is just so that we can have clear minds to hear His voice when He talks to us, so we can understand His will and so that we can learn to love Him, to know Him better and better. That is what health reform is for. Because Satan wants to dull the moral perceptions. He wants us to think that to call evil good and to call good evil. And this is what's happening in our society today. We see it left and right. And, and yet the connection is not made that appetite had, might have something to do with it. But no, brothers and sisters, we're told time and again, it cannot be too often repeated that whatever is taken into the stomach affects not only the body, but ultimately the mind as well. And that goes for us as well. What we eat affects how we think. Now, Daniel. How many of you admire Daniel and his friends? I, I really do. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Daniel was a faithful young man. And, but you know, the book of Daniel, you could also divide it into two parts, right? You have the first six chapters, which tell stories of Daniel's, Daniel and his friends' experiences while at Babylon. And then the second six uh, chapters, the other six chapters, they, are, they contain a lot of prophecy. And we could divide it into prophecy, 
the second part and the first part, we see what, what living in the last days will be like. Because, brothers and sisters, are we not going to face, or facing, rather, Babylon today, spiritual Babylon? Are we not in the midst of this uh, cultural uh, attack on behalf of Babylon through movies and music and, and all these different things? And Babylon is trying to take over and trying to win our affections through these things. And, and we, it is our job to, say, to, be deter, to determine beforehand in our hearts that we will not defile ourselves with the king's meat or movies or music. Right? We are called to be... Daniel's. Daniel was an example of what last day living should be like. And in those first six chapters, we find a lot about the difficulties of being a Christian and standing up for what is right. But at the same time, the providences that God will do in our behalf if we live like Daniel. As Daniel and his fellows were brought to the test, they placed themselves fully on the side of righteousness and truth. They did not move capriciously, but intelligently. They decided that as flesh meat had not composed their diet in the past, it should not come into their diet in the future. And as wine had been prohibited to all who should engage in the service of God, they determined that they would not partake of it. Now some people, I've heard people say that, well, Daniel ate meat and, you know, look at Daniel 10 and, um, and uh, I forget which verses. There's some verses in Daniel where it says that he fasted for 21 days and uh, did not uh, eat any meat or so on. But we're told from the spirit of prophecy that he never ate meat. He didn't eat meat. Meat, as in, not in the, in the sense of pulse or vegetables, but meat in the sense of flesh, animal, animal uh, foods. He did not partake of flesh meat because that was not part of his diet. He wanted to preserve his body. Interesting, huh? Not, it's not something that many people know, but, but that's what we're told in the spirit of prophecy. Daniel was a vegetarian. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank, for he knew that such a diet would not strengthen his physical powers or increase his mental capability. He would not use wine nor any other unnatural stimulant. He would do nothing to cloud his mind. And in later years, the cares of state were heavy upon him, upon Daniel. He was taxed to the utmost of his capacity, but he grew strong in the conflict with difficulties. He held fast by the hand on infinite strength and would not be overcome. He knew that in order to do his work well, he must have help from God. He realized that amid his trials and persecutions, he could not walk apart from God even one hour. He prayed three times a day and God answered his prayers. Daniel's purpose was known to his heavenly watcher. And as Daniel placed himself on the side of God to keep him, to keep his ways, the Lord placed himself on Daniel's side to keep him. Notice, Daniel was living the experience that we talked about yesterday. Do you remember? Yesterday we talked about how living a, a life with Jesus is not one where we just have our devotions in the morning and we're done. But rather, Daniel lived his devotions throughout the whole day. He prayed throughout the whole day. He was, he was walking with Jesus as Enoch did. And this was the only way that he was able to be faithful in his, in his uh, struggle against appetite. And this is the only way that we will be faithful in our struggle against appetite. It is by constantly holding on to the hand of God and asking Him for constant help. 
because we cannot do it on our own strength. But with God, anything is possible. And any besetment, any, any besetting sin can be overcome in our lives and will be overcome by God's grace because He has promised. And this is what we're called to do. Are we going to start facing some very taxing uh, conflicts and difficulties in the years to come? Oh yeah, definitely. Everything that Daniel went through is exactly what we're, what we're going to go through. His friends were called to worship the image of the beast representing Babylon. And we, we're going to be called to do the same thing. But we'll be able to stand if we are faithful to God. If we're holding on and allowing His strength to strengthen us every day. So we've seen two reasons so far. The third reason is that health is a moral issue for all of us that believe that Jesus is coming soon, that Jesus is in the heavenly sanctuary. There are many people, we know that God judges according to knowledge, right? He doesn't judge us according to something that we did not know of. A person that did not understand the Sabbath when they died will not be judged according to the Sabbath. We know this because if we, if we, don't, if we know that something is sin and don't do it, it is sin to us, right? According to James 4.17. We know what we know is what we're judged on. So many people don't know about health and its connections with morality, and so they will not be judged. But those of us that do know, we are judged because we know. We, we are judged according to our knowledge. And for us, health is a moral issue. Notice this. Second volume of the Testimonies, page 70, says, It is a duty to know how to preserve the body in the very best condition of health, and it is a sacred duty to live up to the light which God has graciously given. If we close our eyes to the light for fear that we shall see our wrongs, which we are unwilling to forsake, our sins are not lessened, but increased. If light is turned from in one case, it will be disregarded in another. It is just as much sin to violate the laws of our being as to break one of the Ten Commandments, for we cannot do either without breaking God's law. Hmm. Strong words. It is our duty to understand how to take care of our bodies. And it is our duty to ask God for help to live in such a way that fulfills this. True temperance teaches us to dispense entirely with everything hurtful and to use judiciously that which is healthful. There are few who realize that, as they should, how much of their habits of diet have to do with their health, their character, their usefulness in this world, and their eternal destiny. The appetite should ever be in subjection to the moral, to the moral of the intellectual powers. The body should be servant to the mind and not the mind to the body. Our usefulness in these days and years to come will be dependent upon uh, as well upon how we are taking care of our bodies. Because everything we eat, everything we do, our exercise, how we sleep, how we dress, all these things affect our mind in one way or another. And it is our duty to find out how. I don't know everything. Does anyone here know everything? <laughs> but God does. And if we study, He will lead us to those things that, that He knows each one of us needs in our, in our own experience. If we now know that it is our duty to be healthy or as healthy as we possibly can, then, it, then we know that I, in my own experience, I will begin to study and ask God earnestly from the heart, Lord, what would you have me do? What must I do to be saved? What, what changes need to take place in my life so that I can 
glorify you with my body, with my strength, with, with the things, with the body that you have given me, that you have created for me. And, and as he teaches us, he'll, he'll also help us. He'll also help us to fulfill the convictions that he has placed on our mind. Amen? Those who eat and work intemperately and irrationally talk and act irrationally. It is not necessary to drink alcoholic liquors in order to be intemperate. The sin of intemperate eating, eating too frequently, like between meals or too much, overeating, and of rich unwholesome food, destroys the healthy action of the digestive organs, affects the brain, and perverts the judgment, preventing rational, calm, healthy thinking and acting. Now, imagine, imagine with me that Time, time of probation is almost up. And there's one last trial that's coming your way. And because of unhealthy eating, our judgment is perverted. Satan presents a temptation and we choose wrongly. How, how, uh, how disappointed I would be for perhaps just instant gratification of, oh, but that tasted so good, or I wanted to eat more, that I would lose eternal, eternity. I would lose eternity for two minutes of pleasure, you know, of eating something that, uh, that was not good, or whatever it is. Is anything worth losing our eternal life? Much less something, food that, you know, lasts about 18 to 24 hours in in our GI tract, you know, we, we, and we only enjoy it for a fraction of the time, you know, it's not worth it. It really isn't. But God wants us to, to be temperate, and He will help us. When we are intemperate, we talk and act irrationally. Look, look with me to um, uh, Second Peter. Go with me to Second Peter. We'll use our Bibles today. I wanted to put this up on a, on a PowerPoint presentation so you could read along with me and not get as bored. <laughs> but I'll have you open your Bibles for this. Second Peter chapter 1. We all know Peter's ladder. Starting with verse 5, it says, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and so on. Notice that temperance is actually one of the, one of the you could also say, fruit of the Spirit, right? It's one of, the, one of the latter rungs of the ladder here in the Christian walk. So, according to the Bible, is temperance important? Yeah. And, it's, and temperance, by the way, is not just abstaining from that which is bad, but it's also judicious use in that which is good. So if I eat tons of broccoli and I overeat on broccoli, it's still bad for me. So temperance is, is definitely important according to the Bible. But notice that there's a, the Bible commentary, if you want to go home and read this later, you can make a note for yourself. In the, the Bible commentary, Ellen White talks about this specific order that notice that patience comes after temperance. She says that it is nearly, it is very difficult and nearly impossible 
for an intemperate person to be patient. Now, you know, I've actually seen this in my own life. There, I, I, I can remember times when I started studying this and learning about this. I can still remember times when I overate and, and then, or, or was intemperate in some form or fashion. And then um, after that, I would get impatient with my brother or sister or my father or someone or myself, anyone. And, and I would catch myself and say, whoa, what's going on with me? I'm usually a little more, I'm usually a little more patient. What happened? And I would think and, and try and figure out, Lord, what, what is it? And the Lord would show me, you ate a lot. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, and because even for me, I mean, I'm still, and I'm still learning this. It's difficult to understand the connection that the way I live my life in these practical issues actually affects my spiritual life. Wow. It was an epiphany. Even though I had read it, I had understood it, to see it in my own experience, wow, it actually works. Thank you, Ellen White. You know, Thank you, Lord, for inspiring Ellen White. It actually is true. And so I can tell you from experience, intemperance leads to impatience. And we can probably think back to, to sometimes when when we've been impatient, and we, if we think long and hard enough and ask the Holy Spirit to remind us, we might even be able to connect some, some of these times of impatience with times of intemperance. And we want patience, don't we? Yes, we want temperance to have that patience, and only God can help us have both. All right, let's keep moving. It says, our physical health is maintained by that which we eat. If our appetites are not under the control of a sanctified mind, if we are not temperate in all our eating and drinking, we shall not be in a state of mental and physical soundness to study the word with a purpose to learn what saith the scripture. The diet has much to do with the disposition to enter into temptation and commit sin. Wow. What we eat has much to do with our disposition to enter into temptation and to commit sin. So, should we watch what we eat? And, you know, and I know I'm, I'm hitting a lot on the issue of eating, but health reform is much more, it's much broader than just what we eat. It's also whether we're exercising, whether we're sleeping well. All these things have lots to do with our spiritual life. And, and so we should start studying and understanding what, how do these things affect. And, you know, I wanted to, I, I wish I could go ahead and share everything that I've learned with you. Um, but as I, as I thought and, and as I sat and thought about what to share, I could go ahead and share lots of details with you, but, but if the details are shared and there's not a desire in each of our hearts to actually learn and study, then I really wasn't effective in my sharing. I'd much rather share principles and have each individual go home and with a desire to study for themselves, or where, where can I myself improve, than, than to give you a whole bunch of health facts and, and there not be any change in the heart. Because this, ladies and gentlemen, was written, was written for us. It was written for each one of us as individuals. And it is our, each individual, our own individual duty to go home and study this for ourselves. And, and although tomorrow we will go over some health facts, um, the principles are really what, what I would much rather share because it is the most important thing. It is what God wrote for us. And if, he, if that's what he took the time to write for us, then I think it 
it's what I should take my time to share more than anything. So, so yes, but notice, the diet has much to do with the disposition to enter into temptation and commit sin. So we should watch what we eat. We should watch how we live our lives. The moral evils of a flesh diet are not less marked than are the physical ills. Did you catch that? Today, I mean, you see so many studies connecting meat-eating with cancer and um, lots of uh, animal products connected with high cholesterol or uh, high, hypertension or uh, whatever it is. But notice that she says the moral evils are not less marked than these physical ills. When we've become sick because of a, a faulty diet we, and we see the sickness, the sickness is apparent, we can, we can be sure that there is some unseen um, moral sickness as well. Flesh food is injurious to health and whatever affects the body has a corresponding effect on the mind and soul. A meat diet changes the disposition and strengthens animalism. We are composed of what we eat and eating much flesh will diminish intellectual activity. Students would accomplish much more in their studies if they never tasted meat. When the animal part of the human agent is strengthened by meat eating, the intellectual powers diminish proportionately. So they are inversely proportionate. When we eat meat, our, intellectual, our, intellect, our intellect is inversely proportionate to that. Is lessened, inversely proportional to that. So, I don't know. I, I want to preserve whatever's left in my mind. How about you guys? <laughs> you know, so that, that's, that's very uh, motivating for me because I'm a student still. <laughs> and I think all of us are students. We're actually, we should all be students of the Bible. So if we want to understand the Bible more and more and we want to preserve that intellect, then let's avoid meat <laughs> or let's eat as healthy a diet as we can. Greater reform should be seen among the people who claim to be looking for the soon appearing of Christ. Health reform is to do among our people a work which it has not yet done. There are those who ought to be awake to the danger of meat eating who are still eating the flesh of animals, thus endangering the physical, mental, and spiritual health. Many who are now only half converted on the question of meat eating will go from God's people to walk no more with them. So if we are struggling with this, let's ask God for help to overcome this. To overcome this, uh, these habits of, of eating that are only causing us harm and those around us. Because then we become impatient as, and among other things. Let's ask God for help to, to give us the victory. And like we said, the victory is ours right now, today, if we just ask in faith. And if, you know, maybe some of us um, or, or some people we know just really don't even have the desire to give this up to God. Can God give us a desire? Yeah. Definitely. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13 what? What does it say? Philippians 2.13? God places in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we, we like to, we, we say that verse a lot and we often bring out the fact that, oh yeah, God uh, will help us do of His good pleasure, but we forget the will part. God will even put in our hearts a desire to do of His good pleasure. If we are struggling with any habit that goes against His, his will, 
He will put in our hearts, if we ask Him in faith, even the desire, not just the, the strength to do it. We, he doesn't want us to be the type of people, like let's say if I had to, if you know, it was a salvational issue for me to pick up this Bible. Okay, I'll pick up the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for helping me pick up this Bible. You know, He doesn't want us to be those type of Christians. He wants us to desire and to be able to pick it up with love and joy and say, I picked it up and I'm happy I did. Thank you, Lord. And we're living the life, a life of victory because he's placed in us not just the strength to do it, but the desire to do it. His, his, what he loves will become what we love and what, what he hates will become what we hate. And our, our, our desires, our, our thoughts, our, our feelings will become harmonious with his because he wants to place in us both the will to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen? So if any of us are struggling, not just with, with meat-eating, I mean, with any, any other sin, anything, lying, covetousness, lust, whatever it is, God can and will help us. And he will even place in us a hatred for sin, a desire to overcome, if we ask in faith. But today, many who are now only half-converted on the question of meat-eating will go from God's people to walk no more with them. So if we are struggling, we ought to ask God to help us. Because I'm sure that none of us here want to be one of those that go on to walk no more with God's people. So we've seen three reasons now. Because we love Jesus, we want to keep our bodies healthy. Because our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and we're living in the antitypical day of atonement where God is going to do great things in our, in, our, in our bodies, in our minds. And because health is a moral issue. Because sin hurts God and we don't want to hurt God. But fourth, it is also a tool that we are called to use for evangelism. A very excellent tool, I might add. Very good tool. Now, imagine with me, if you'd like to close your eyes, you can, but you can imagine with me back when God was creating the earth. And when God wanted there to be light, what did he do? He spoke, right? He said, at Genesis 1, verse 3, right? And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. He spoke and it happened. And, and day after day he would speak and something would happen. He spoke and another thing happened. And his words brought into existence that which he spoke. And all week long he's talking and he's speaking and creating. Speaking and creating. But then the sixth day comes around and he says, now I'm going to create something completely different from anything else that I have ever created. And I'm going to create a man. And so God said, and the, and the Bible says, and God said, let there be man. And there was man. <laughs> no, right? What does the Bible say? He formed them, right? He, I, I, you can almost imagine God getting down on his knees and, and forming Adam with his hands and, and coming up close and intimate and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, Genesis 2-7. And we see that this, this uh, dust and breath of life becomes a living being. This was how God created man. And you're probably thinking, well, what does that have to do with health, right? Well, with everything else, God spoke. But with, 
But with man, God came close and intimate and personal. Us, in our treatment, in our, in our evangelism, we like to preach, and preaching is good. But we are called to do more than just speak the truth. We're called to actually live it, to come close and intimate with man, to, to touch them, to, whether it's to massage them or give them a hydrotherapy treatment, um, to, to help them learn how to eat better, uh, whatever it is, but to come close and intimate with them, to let them know that we care, that we love them, and that God loves them. And that, you know, if God, God was the first medical missionary, and if God took that approach with human beings, different than with anything else, you know, I want to take that approach as well. I want to come close and intimate with the people that I work with, that I work for. And we see it also, and we could see lots of examples throughout the Bible, but we'll look at one more. Turn with me in your Bible to Acts 16. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, we know the story. Paul and Silas, they, Paul, Paul finally gets tired of this uh, demon-possessed woman who is acting as though they're in cahoots when they're not. And Paul doesn't want people to think that, you know, he's connected in any way with this demon-possessed woman. So he cast the demons out of her and her masters were angry. So look at uh, verse 19. It says, and when her master saw that the hope of their gains, the means of their, of their lucre was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them to the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, verse 20, saying, these men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. So they're beat. You can imagine their, their backs are, are bloodied and, and with gashes all, all across their backs. Painful. And when they had laid many stripes, not just one, but many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So now their feet were up in the air, fastened into these stocks, into these chains. And so their backs are probably against this hard, cold, rough stone floor. And, and these open gashes are just scraping against these, this floor and the pain is just increased. And, and yet, despite all this, what do Paul and Silas do? They sing. I mean, are they crazy or what's going on with them, right? But they sing. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had, been, had fled. He would have killed himself. But what happened? Paul cried with a loud voice. Does that remind you of something? Paul cried with a loud voice. 
saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Notice, what a, what a, a wonderful change from, I mean, just within a span of perhaps 10 seconds, 5 seconds, this gentleman went from wanting to kill himself to asking, how can I be saved? What was it that changed this man from a suicidal uh, jailkeeper to a hopeful jailkeeper that wanted to be saved? What was it that changed him? It was Paul's, Paul's word saying, hey, don't hurt yourself. Paul could have just let him kill, kill, kill himself and they would have been, you know, they would have been out of that prison, every single one of them. But Paul wasn't there to be free. He was there to free others. And we as medical missionaries are called to do the same. And when we, when we stretch forth our hands and with a loud voice proclaim truths and, and let people know that we care for them, for their well-being, people will, will not be able to help but say, what must I do to be saved? That, those words from Paul to, to change this man from a suicidal jailkeeper to a hopeful one are the same ones that we should speak to others. Hey, don't hurt yourself. Let me help you. We're called to do the same thing. Amen? We're called to be medical missionaries. And, and it is this that will help others ask, want, to, want to see, want to know how they can be saved. Look at uh, Councils on Health, 535. It says, I can see in the Lord's providences that the medical missionary work is to be a great entering wedge whereby the diseased soul may be reached. Now we saw earlier in 1 Corinthians 10.31 that whether you eat or you drink, do all to what? Do all to the glory of God. Now, Go with me, or actually you guys prob you probably know the, the first angel's message, right? And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, and crying with what? With a loud voice saying, worship God, fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. Alright, and now I want you to go with me. Notice, it says, worship him with a loud voice. And, and Paul cried with a loud voice. Just a, a funny, funny uh, connection there. But look, look at Luke. Go to Luke chapter 17 with me. Luke chapter 17. Starting at verse 12. Luke chapter 17, verse 12. It says, and as he entered into a certain village, he being Jesus... He entered into a certain village. There met him ten lepers, ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice gave glory to God. Because he noticed that what? He was healed. When we live our lives eating and drinking in a way to give glory to God and we, and we heal and we help in the healing of others, 
it would just it will be contagious. Others will also want to give glory to God with a loud voice and just praise God for what He has done in their lives. Brothers and sisters, health reform is going to be a very big evangelistic tool in these last days. And it's part of our three angels' messages. We are called to use health as a tool for winning souls. There is a work as yet untouched that must be done. The mission of Christ was to heal the sick, encourage the hopeless, bind up the brokenhearted. This work of restoration is to be carried on among the needy, suffering ones of humanity. God calls not only for your benevolence, but your cheerful countenance and hopeful words. The grasp of your hand relieves some of God's afflicted ones. Some are sick and hope has departed. Bring back the sunlight to them. There are souls who have lost their courage. Speak to them. Pray for them. There are those who need the bread of life. Read to them from the word of God. There is a soul sickness no balm can reach, no medicine can heal. Pray for these and bring them to Jesus Christ. And in all your work, Christ will be present to make impressions upon human hearts. This is medical missionary work. Some of us might be thinking, well, I don't know much about the body. I'm an accountant or I'm an engineer or I'm whatever it is. I don't know much about the body. But medical missionary work is much broader than that. It's much broader than giving hydrotherapy treatments or, or massage treatments. It's encouraging the hopeless, bringing, cheering up the saddened. It's, it's helping people know that they are loved. This is medical missionary work. It's being patient with those that tend to test our patience. <laughs> we're called to be medical missionaries and to be the type that Jesus was. Not just, you know, we're not called to just be nurses and doctors who work in a hospital. That's not the meaning of a medical missionary. It's someone who will help heal souls in or outside of the, the hospitals, in homes, in libraries, or wherever you find yourself. At, uh, at Weimar... I have the, the great privilege of working as outreach coordinator. And in the last year, I don't know, has anyone heard of the book De Sozo by Dave Fiedler? Okay, we have a couple. I would suggest you read it. De Sozo by Dave Fiedler. It is an excellent book. In fact, maybe I'll break protocol here, step down, show you the book. This book here, if you'd like to take a look at it after the talk, you can. It gives a history of medical missionary work in our church, and how, when it started, it was very united with the, evangelical, with the evangelistic work, and how, uh, due to certain uh, events, which this book talks about, the, the health work and the pastoral work were separated, and how that has affected our church over the years. It's a very, very good book. I would suggest you read it, and um, you can take a look at it afterward. But it talks about its disozo, which is Greek for health and salvation. You see, in the Bible, uh, salvation in the Greek can also be, it also has a connotation of health. And, it talk, and the subtitle is Reversing the Worst Evil. There's a quote um, that this book is based on how on our churches, there lays the worst evil when the pastoral work and the health work are separated. And so it's, uh, it's a very good book, again. But... So at Weimar, I've had the opportunity to work as outreach coordinator, and we've started doing what, what in the past they were doing in our church, when the pastoral work and the health work were still together, and they would send out Christian help bands. 
And so we started sending out college students and academy students to the surrounding community. We had, there's the campus of Weimar Institute, and they made a, a map of a two-mile radius around Weimar and separated into various, several, various different territories and divided it amongst the different family groups uh, or different uh, groups in, in the institute. And we've gone out in the community helping people uh, mow their lawn or rake the leaves. You know, there's lots of elderly couples that can't do things around their house anymore, and so we'll go out and help them. Or we'll help them with, uh, with learning how to cook. We hold cooking schools. This next week, we're having a stop smoking seminar. And, um, and you know, there's, there's lots going on. And, and you know what? As a result, there was one lady. She lives in a trader park near, which, which is within our two-mile radius. And... Her house was just filthy, but we, she asked for help, you know, please, nobody has come to clean my house in, in months, and I can't do it, you know, I, I can't bend over, I can't do this on my own, please help me. So a group of us went over, and we must have spent like three hours turning everything over, cleaning everything from top to bottom, but her house was left clean, I mean, spotless, and she was so happy. This lady today is having Bible studies. And she's actually already said, she's told us at least like five times, I want to be baptized. You know, and just, but it started with Christian help work, with just medical missionary work. And cleaning someone's house, by the way, is medical missionary work. You don't have to be a naturopath, a doctor, an MD. You can just be someone who knows how to clean toilets. And you can cause big changes in someone's life. We are all called to be medical missionaries. And, well, I, there's so much I could say about that, but I'll have to stop there. Read the book. It is excellent. <laughs> the Lord will give you success in this work, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation when it is interwoven with a practical life. And when it is lived and practiced, the union of Christ-like work for the body and Christ-like work for the soul is the true interpretation of the gospel. What is the true interpretation of the gospel? The union of Christ-like work for the body and Christ-like work for the soul. This is the true interpretation of the gospel. So we are to work for this. We are to become intelligent in this. Medical missionary work brings to humanity the gospel of release from suffering. It is the pioneer work of the gospel. It is the gospel practice. Do, are we believers of the gospel? The Bible says in Matthew 24, 14, what? And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached, where? In all the world, and then shall the end come. The end is not going to come until we start reach, preaching the true gospel, which we saw earlier was the Christ-like work for the soul, Christ-like work for the soul and body united. And this gospel, this work of the gospel, it is the gospel practice, the compassion of Christ revealed. Of this work, there is great need, and the world is open for it. God grant that the importance of medical missionary work shall be understood and that new fields may be immediately entered. Oh, God will. May God grant that our church could take hold of this work and do it fervently to reach souls. So we saw all these reasons. And number five, as you do this, it might even improve your health. You see, many times I was talking to Mrs. Nino yesterday, and we were talking about this, how 
Many times we talk about health reform and the thing we talk about the most is you have to avoid diabetes, right? Have you heard that? Yeah? And avoid the hypertension and do, you know, but brothers and sisters, that is not the most important thing. The most important thing is our mind. Why, are, why do we have health reform? So that we can keep our mind safe from temptation, from the attacks of the devil. That is the most important thing. And, and if we happen to avoid diabetes and hypertension, amen, right? But that is not the main point of health reform. It is not so that we can eat vegetables and look good in front of the brothers and sisters. No, it is so that we can have healthy minds that can discern between right and wrong. So that we can withstand the temptations by God's grace in these last days. So, in teaching health principles, keep before the mind the great object of reform that its purpose is to secure the highest development of body and mind and soul. Notice it is, does not just say body, but it is mind and soul as well. And so to end, our last, our last quote here. If you haven't paid attention to anything else today, pay attention to this quote, okay? This is important because our, our theme this weekend is forward to Zion for such a time as this, we are living in the last days. Jesus is about to come, so pay attention to this quote because it's talking about us. As religious aggression subverts the liberties of our nation, is that about to happen? Those who would stand for freedom of conscience will be placed in unfavorable positions. Is that already happening as well? For their own sake, they should, or let's read it the other way around. For our sake, for our own sake, for whose sake? For our own sake, those of us sitting in here, for every Adventist's sake, we should, while we have opportunity, become intelligent in regard to what? Disease, its causes, prevention, and cure. And those who do this will find a field of labor in some places. Anywhere. There will be suffering ones, plural, plenty of them, who will need help not only among those of our own faith, but largely among those who know not the truth. The shortness of time demands an energy that has not been aroused among those who claim to believe the present truth. Do we believe the present truth? Do we believe that religious aggression will soon subvert, subvert the liberties of our nation? Yeah. So what are we doing to learn, to become intelligent about the causes of disease, its prevention, it's treatment and cure. Are we learning so that we can win souls for Jesus, so that we can make up the number in the kingdom? Today, do you want to be a medical missionary? What is stopping us? Is it our, is it our desires? Is it our, our lack of faith? What is it? What is stopping us from moving forward in this? There's, it's nothing that God cannot heal, God cannot take care of. So today, if it is your desire to move forward to become more of a medical missionary work like Jesus was, stand with me and let's pray together. Dear Father, you are the great medical missionary. Every day you're healing us, you're, you're working on our hearts, you forgive us, you, you work with us. Lord, you're so patient with us. And Father, we, we want to be more like you. We want you to dwell in our hearts, to abide in us, Lord. We want to have your abiding presence with us and to help us, Lord, to be a blessing. 
Help us, Lord, in our own lives, whatever it is that we are struggling with uh, when it comes to health and health reform, help us to overcome, Lord. And Father, not just for us, not just for our sakes, but so that when the time comes, we can also be a blessing to those that surround us, to those that are around us that need help, Lord. We ask you, Lord, please place in our hearts a desire. Help us, Lord, to will and to do of your good pleasure. We ask in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.